Jesus, thank you for uh, being here. And thank you that you are always up to new things and you are redeeming the hard things in our lives. So show us that all the more clearly today. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome again to those of you who are in person, those of you who are... The camera's not there. Oh, the camera is there. Hey, Ted. Um, To those of you watching the podcast as well, uh, we are closing out a series this morning that we've been in called Stuff Christians Say, which we're kind of talking about the cliches and catchphrases that you might hear in church and uh, that have some truth to them, but maybe are incomplete in what they're actually talking about. And it's been a great series. We've covered great cliches and catchphrases like God has a wonderful plan for your life and God will never give you more than you can handle. And WWDD, what would Dudley do? (laughs) If this is your first time, Scott Dudley is our senior pastor. And if you're on staff, you're required to actually wear a bracelet that has that on it. So... (laughs) This is a little behind the scenes right there. But basically, this series is just like a big flashing neon sign that reminds us God is bigger and better than we think. And he cannot be boxed in. And this morning is another example of that. Our last cliche we're going to deal with in this series, everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that? Have you used that? I have. Everything happens for a reason. It's a phrase that I often hear from folks both inside and outside church walls, across cultures, certainly across genders and ages. It's a very popular idea. And the basic idea is this. I don't know what's going on exactly, but what's happening must be happening for a reason. So I guess I just have to trust that and keep moving. And on the surface, it seems like, you know, what's the harm in it? Another way of saying this is, it's all good which I hate, and I've used it before too. It's all good, right? And you got to kind of say it like that a little bit. But it's this phrase I especially hate because people who usually are saying it are actually denying the fact that it's not all good. And usually according to those circumstances that they're telling you about, right? I'm sorry you just lost your job. Oh, it's all good. No, it's not. Stop saying that. It's not true. Really bugs me. I apologize. And everything that happens for a reason is a statement kind of like that one. It falls into the same category. When we use it, it's kind of like we're essentially trying to address the entire issue of human suffering and try to explain it by going, ah, what are you going to do, right? I guess it all happens for a reason. So we we deny the pain of suffering. We kind of shrug our shoulders. But it's insufficient. It's not helpful. And at times, I think it's actually more harmful than not. So we're going to get into that. And this morning, what we need to do to get into that is to give a 90-second theology lesson about the issue of suffering, which is a terrible way to start a sermon, I'll be honest. And there's no way to encapsulate the issue of suffering in 90 seconds. Just no way. People have been doing it for thousands of years, and we still haven't got it. So it's not going to work. It won't be very satisfying. It won't settle once and for all this question of why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. If you're experiencing real suffering right now, in fact, it's not going to bring much comfort. But we have to go there. Because often what we think about suffering determines what we think about God. The way we think about suffering determines the way that we think about God. And the opposite is also true. What we think about God determines the way that we think about suffering. The way that we see suffering. So here goes. In general, 
in general, bad things happen because we live in a broken world. Oh, that's, that's really satisfying. Yes. In general, bad things happen because we live in a broken world. God has given us the freedom to choose between right and wrong because that's what a good parent gives a kid. Choices, right? Can choose between right and wrong. And often we choose things that are wrong and that hurt ourselves and hurt others. In fact, in this country, most of the suffering that we experience is the result of things that we do to ourselves. It's a result of our overspending, our overeating, our taxing our relationships, all that kind of stuff. Most of the suffering that you and I experience in this country is a result of self-induced things. But throughout our imperfect world, earthquakes happen and tsunamis happen and cancer happens and murder happens and almost all of it happens just because we live in a broken world. And it's not fair and it's not right and it's not always going to be that way, but it's that way now. And occasionally, God causes something to happen, even something bad. And when he does that, he has one goal in mind, to get our attention. To get our attention. And he always kind of starts very gently and then kind of amps it up if we're refusing to listen. We can just think of Pharaoh and Egypt and the plagues that descended upon them as a result of them not letting the Israelites go free. Let my people go. Nah, okay. I'm going to try to get your attention. And the plague's just kind of amped up and amped up. Remember, this is the exception and not the rule that God would work this way. But why might God occasionally use pain to get our attention? Because we have different goals than God. We fundamentally have different goals than God, and God's goals are better than ours. It can be summed up this way. We want pain avoidance. God wants fully developed people. Those are two different goals. I want to be comfortable. I want to avoid pain. God wants a fully developed character. He wants his kids to grow up, to become strong, to be able to make choices on their own that bring them life and bring life to others. We want pain avoidance. God wants fully developed people. Much of our suffering is often the result of having this different goal than God. At my house, when dinner is over, my 17-month-old boy, Ryder, he runs in circles around the table while screaming with joy. It makes it really easy for Katie and I to kind of interact and have deep conversation at that time. So he's running in circles. This is so fun what his body is able to do now. And he's just screaming. And he's learning what his body can do. And sometimes he just gets fixated on what his body can do. And so he looks at his feet and not what's ahead. Because like, look how cool that is, what my feet can do and how fast they're moving. So he focuses there and he doesn't think about the fact that right by our dinner table is a big brick fireplace with lots of sharp edges that was built in the 1950s in order to hurt little boys. That's, it's, I've done the research. It's totally true. And on occasion, while Ryder is running and not looking where he's going, he heads for this big fireplace that will hurt him. So I will try to alert him to the fact that he's going to slam into that fireplace and hurt himself, and he does not like it when I do this. Do not tell me what to do. Ryder wants to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, just like me. (laughs) And just like you, right? We're all in that same place. But I know better. I know that if he enters into a competition with a brick fireplace, he will lose. So if he gets too close to the fireplace, I'll try to stop him, even if it means saying no. Or when that doesn't work, raising my voice a little and saying no. Or when that doesn't work, picking him up and saying no which he really hates. 
to write her being told no or especially being picked up is suffering. He doesn't like it at all. To me, I'm just trying to keep him from bashing his face into the fireplace. That's a very silly and dim picture of how our very good heavenly father uses suffering to get his kids' attention. He doesn't want us to ruin our lives. And on rare occasion, he will allow pain to touch our lives in order to keep something even worse from happening. So there you go. I told you it would be unsatisfying. There's no way to encompass all of the mystery of human suffering in that amount of time or in thousands of years. But we have to go there. Because getting our head around suffering is extremely difficult and it has always been so. In fact, throughout human history, we've been trying to create ways to contain this mystery because we're afraid of it and we want to avoid suffering. And because, to be honest, we'd rather trust our understanding of how the world works than trust the one who made the world. And a great story that illustrates this fact comes from John chapter 9. We just read a few of those verses this morning. It's a story about a man who is born blind, spends his entire life in blindness. And Jesus, during his ministry, kind of comes upon this man and he sees this man and he starts a conversation with him. And his disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Yes, exactly. Jesus' disciples are trying to make sense of the man's suffering, of suffering in general, just like we do. So they pose this question as they best understand it. Whose fault is this, Jesus? There's got to be a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Why is he blind? Somebody blew it at some point. That's why he's blind, right, Jesus? So what's the deal? And Jesus, he sort of ignores the question a little bit. And instead, he makes mud. This might be a way that you want to respond to your children's questions. <laughs> Daddy, where do babies come from? Oh, let's make some mud over here. Just saying, it's biblical. It's right there. Jesus sort of ignores it, then makes some mud, and he puts it on the man's eyes, and he tells the man, go wash in that particular river, and he does. And when the man washes, he, he can see. He hasn't seen his entire life, and now he can see, and it should be a cause for celebration. This is a miracle. But it sends the religious leaders, the Pharisees, people like you and me, into a frenzy. Why? Because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, and that's a no-no. If it had been a Wednesday, fine, Jesus. But it's the Sabbath, so you're in trouble. Talk about missing the point. The Pharisees' concern leads then to three courtroom scenes, which we don't have time to get into a lot of detail, but they're pretty hilarious if you read through them. Here's the first of the three scenes. First, they call the man who was blind, and they question him. They ask him, who do you think this was that healed you? Well, he's a prophet. The Pharisees are like, ah, take him away. Bring his parents in. So the parents come in. Second scene. They're scared to death. If they don't say the right thing, they'll be put out of the temple. Which means, in their context, they'll be socially ostracized in every way from their community. They will literally lose their lifestyles. They'll be wiped out because of this. So they say, eh, you know, we know he's our son, and we know he used to be blind, and we know he's not, but that's all we know. Let our son speak for himself. And then they hightail it out of there. So meanwhile, the guy who was formerly blind, is, you could just picture him. He's running around. He's just seeing stuff. That's a tree. Those are mountains. This is incredible. That's what you look like. You're beautiful. This is amazing. And the Pharisees catch up with him and go, no, 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 come back to court. 
So the third courtroom scene, it comes back. The Pharisees question him one more time. They want to know. They want an answer. They want a reason. Everything happens for a reason. So he says, look, guys, I don't know who healed me. Remember how I couldn't see him? Remember how I was blind? And that's kind of the point of why I'm here. Bless their hearts. All I know is that I was blind. And now I can see. And that's awesome. In this story, we discover then three reasons why the statement, everything happens for a reason, might not be that helpful. Might actually at times be harmful. And the first is this. It can be fatalism disguised as faith. Fatalism disguised as faith. See, the disciples don't even think to help this man that Jesus has stopped has seen, has stopped, has begun a conversation with. They don't even think to help this guy. They just want theological answers. Who sinned? It's like they don't even see him. They were fatalistic in their understanding. Fatalism says it was destined to be this way. No one ever had a choice. There's nothing we can do about it now, so just keep moving. We don't have a responsibility here. This is just fate. This is, you know, everything happens for a reason. It's not our trouble it's kind of like saying i could jump from the top of the empire state building and if i'm fated to end up flat on the sidewalk below there's nothing i can do to stop it but that's not fate that's physics right (laughs) physics will take you out plus you have the option not to jump fatalism keeps jesus disciples from really seeing the man it's almost like they're just as blind as he is they miss the point that they could stop and help this man. That's what fatalism does. It keeps, from taking, keeps us from taking responsibility for our lives. Ah, I guess that's just the way it is. I can't do anything about it, so I'm not going to do anything about it. And our responsibility here is twofold. First, to recognize that our choices have impact. They can hurt people. In fact, they regularly hurt people. In fact, the things that you don't know about that we do to each other hurt each other there's no such thing as private sin it's all destructive toward one another second our responsibility is to recognize that we are to enter in to other people's suffering just as jesus did jesus is the god who came and he suffered very intentionally for us that he might suffer with us as we follow him Like Jesus, we have the ability to make good out of bad. But if we resort to fatalism instead of faith, we miss out on one of the biggest ways God brings healing to a broken world, which is through us, which is scary. But it's true. That's the first reason why everything happens for a reason is often more harmful than helpful. The second one is this. It's superstition disguised as insight. It's like, oh, we kind of have this figured out. We know how this works. But often, it's just superstition. Again, the disciples here are wanting to get to the root problem of suffering. That's often what we want. Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? It's not wrong to ask those questions. But as they ask this question, they descend into one one of the popular superstitions of that day. This happened because somebody did something bad. This happened because somebody did something bad. That's why this happened. In that culture, the rich were blessed. 
The poor were obviously cursed, and in many ways, we still believe that. There's some part of us that thinks our country is somehow doing it better than the other countries because we've got more wealth, which couldn't be further from the truth. We can be just as superstitious. We connect events that are in no way connected. We blame God for things he's not responsible for. We also don't give him credit for things that he is responsible for. All of this can appear very spiritual, but it's actually heretical because we're focused on trying to read the signs rather than listen to God. Growing up, I often thought that if something bad happened to me, like if my Knight Rider lunchbox had been stolen... Thank you for those of you who got that reference. <laughs> Michael Knight. If the lunchbox was stolen, it was because I did something wrong. I must have lied about something, and God is punishing me for that. No more Night Rider lunchbox because of that. But if something good happened, it was because he was happy with me. Like when I won my fourth grade spelling bee, I knew that God loved me. That's right, you're in the presence of a spelling champion. But when I went out in the very first round of my fifth grade spelling bee, I knew God was angry with me. I mean, to lose the night rider lunchbacks and the fifth grade spelling bee, obviously God is against me. Sometimes I still think this way. An unexpected bill comes. Oh, God must be judging me for something I did. I get a flat tire. Oh, he must be trying to tell me something. Or he's trying to help me avoid an accident down the road or not to get on that ferry because that one's going to blow up or whatever. You know, it's like we just kind of go there and it's all superstition, not faith. We're trying to connect things that aren't meant to be connected. We're trying to read the signs instead of listen to God. One recent study showed that Americans spend at least $300 million on psychic hotlines. Wow. Wow. We'd rather consult psychics who are out to take our money than trust our Heavenly Father who is out to give us His very best. We would rather spend $300 million on a psychic hotline. Everything happens for a reason can often just resort to childish superstition, one that leaves us emptier for the answer. Now in all this, again, just to say, sometimes we use these things, we're not trying to be mean, we're not trying to be deceptive, we're not trying to be wrong. It's just like, let's take a look a little bit below the surface of these things that we use. So that's the second reason, superstition. The last one is this. It's enmity disguised as intimacy. Which is a horribly awkward phrase, but I had to make it sound like the other two points. So that's why it says that. It's enmity disguised as intimacy. We're enemies instead of intimate friends. Just like the Pharisees in this story, we'd rather trust what our eyes can see than get to know the one who can restore the fullness of our sight. The Pharisees, who claim to be closest to God, are all hell-bent to get to the bottom of things. The very ones who should be celebrating God's goodness and this miracle should be celebrating more than anyone are instead concerned with religious rule-keeping. And Jesus' own disciples... The guys who have been walking with him, traveling with him, watching him, they fare no better. They say, Jesus, who sinned that this man is blind? Somebody must have broken a religious law or else this man would have his eyesight. They claimed to know the mind and will of God. They claimed to be on God's side, but they were in fact enemies of God because they were blind to this deeper reality of who God is and how he works. Fortunately, Jesus is incredibly patient. 
He was patient with his disciples. He's patient with us. And you can almost hear Jesus sighing and then saying, guys, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now we know, of course, they sinned at some point during their lifetime. He's just saying, this, that's not what this is about. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Is that refuting what you just said? You mean God made him blind so that he could show off? No. Look at these two little phrases I've highlighted. Look at the word this. Jesus here is speaking in generalities. He's saying that this world is screwed up and this kind of thing keeps happening because this world is broken. So this is one of those things I'm going to use to reveal my, God, my goodness. God can use anything. In fact, he does use anything to reveal his goodness. Why? So that, that second phrase, so that. God is always bringing good from bad. He's always making things whole that have been broken. He's bringing to life things that were dead so that we will trust him with every part of our lives, even the parts that don't make sense, even the parts that are excruciatingly painful right this moment, even that stuff, so that we might see God's works and recognize how good he is and how much he loves us, so that we can fully enjoy all that he wants to give us. I want my little boy to be able to run and sprint and never smash into things. And so at times I keep him from doing that. He feels like that's suffering, but I know better. God wants us to enjoy the fullness of who he is and he knows the only way that can happen is if we grow up. If our character is fully formed and the context in which our character is formed often includes suffering. God says, I know it's not fair, but I'm going to be with you in it. In fact, I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to enter into suffering. I'm going to suffer for the sake of everybody. The formerly blind man's response sums this up ni nicely. He says, whether this man is a sinner or not, I do not know. He's referring to Jesus. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see I was blind, but now I see. In other words, I don't understand the mystery of this, but I can see now. So it hardly matters. I don't understand why he didn't heal me sooner. I had this whole lifetime that I missed out on, but I can see now. So I'm going to choose to be grateful instead. I don't understand why all of this is happening, the good and the bad, but I can see now. So he must be good. This Jesus must be good. We could kind of put it this way. Not helpful. Everything happens for a reason. I know we just kind of toss it aside. I know that none of us take it necessarily that seriously, but it can really shape the way that we see God and the way that we trust Him and move with Him. Not helpful. Everything that happens for a reason. Better, God can make everything that happens beautiful. God can make everything that happens beautiful. Even that stuff that's on your mind right now. Even that stuff that seems impossible. Like, there's no way we're getting out of this one. Even that stuff. We know this to be true because throughout Scripture, we find that God turns bad things into good. He turns weeping into laughter. He takes ashes and makes something beautiful. He turns death into resurrection. In fact, God is at work even in your right now pain. 
turning every little bit into something beautiful. He is the God who sees and redeems every tear. And perhaps most amazing of all, he is the God who suffers with us. He doesn't watch from a distance. That's not our God. He enters in. He groans with us. He cries with us. That doesn't take the sting out of suffering. Not one bit. We dishonor God and our experience if we say that just, okay, that makes it all good. It's all good. No. But it can take the poison out of the suffering. It can take the poison. Because you see, our God is so good, he doesn't micromanage us. He doesn't helicopter parent us. Our God is so good, he wants us to grow rich in character, to be able to stand and make our own good choices that bless us and bless others. Our God is so good, he is using the pain we're in even now to bring about the very best results and even, in fact, to change the world around us. Nick Vujicic was born without arms or legs. And as told in his life story on his website, uh, lifewithoutlimbs.org. Totally recommend it. Wait until after the service to look it up. Lifewithoutlimbs.org. In his story, his mom and his dad, who was an Australian pastor, they felt devastated by their firstborn's son's, firstborn son's condition. I mean, can you imagine just the excitement, the anticipation? Nothing uh, seemed like it was wrong with the pregnancy. And they're so thrilled. And he comes out and there's no arms and no legs. And they just see his future disappear and they feel their hearts break and it's devastating if god is a god of love they said then why would he let something like this happen especially to committed christians i thought that but they chose to trust god despite their questions obviously nick struggled at school where other students bullied and rejected him at that stage in my childhood he said i could understand god's love only to a point But I still got hung up on the fact that if God really loved me, why did he make me this way? Why? What's the reason for this? I wondered if I'd done something wrong and began to feel certain that this must be true. Thoughts of suicide plagued Nick until one day the 15-year-old read the story in John chapter 9 about the man born blind. And he felt especially drawn to that part that said, this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. Nick is now one of the most popular motivational speakers in the world. Despite being born without arms or legs, he has gone scuba diving. He has surfed. They have some amazing video on his website of this. He has traveled the world encouraging millions of others, talking about how Jesus is using this. Due to the emotional struggles I had experienced with bullying, self-esteem, and loneliness, Nick says, God began to instill a passion for sharing my story and experiences to help others cope with whatever challenges they might face. I realized my purpose, that God could use me to encourage and to inspire others to live to their fullest potential. God's goodness became clearer to me, and now I'm fully convinced and understand that his glory is revealed as he uses me just the way I am. And even more wonderful, he can use me in ways others can't be used because I don't have arms or legs. Did God cause Nick's condition? There's no way we can say that with any kind of certainty. Is God using his condition? Oh, to change the lives of literally millions of people around the world. And I don't know what your story is this morning, but I do know this, that God wants to use the suffering in our lives for his glory. He wants it to count. He doesn't want it to be wasted. 
With him, it is not wasted. He wants to use the difficult things that we run into on a daily basis, the little stuff, which often gets to me the most, and the really big stuff for which there is just no answer. He wants to use all that and change you and change the world through you into people who can enjoy the fullness of who he is, who can run free with passion because of this. And when we resist the fatalism, the superstition and the denial of intimacy that we sometimes find in a statement like everything happens for a reason, we then open ourselves up to the possibility of being used in bigger ways than we can imagine. We want pain avoidance. God wants fully developed people. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, it hurts. Nevertheless, it doesn't make sense. Nevertheless, life is hard and, and God is good. So we bring those two realities to him again just now. I want to pray for us as we do that. Jesus, thank you first of all that you are the God who suffers with us. That in fact took the lead by suffering for us even unto death on a cross to face the ultimate sacrifice that we might have freedom, that we might be called your kids and that we could be kids who grow up and take ownership of the different parts of our lives, these different gifts you have given us, these different opportunities. And God creatively used these in partnership with you to experience your joy and to bring that joy and healing and hope to the wider world. God, I pray especially for those of us this morning who are right on that edge or have crossed the line into just going, I'm, I'm fed up with you, God. If this is the kind of God you are, I'm out. God, for those people especially, I pray comfort. I pray for light to break into darkness. For unexpected hope to show up. God, that you might be glorified. We pray all this in your name. Amen.